We've had a great weekend uh, with the students this weekend. I want to kind of, by way of introduction into our message this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 78. This is where we'll be this morning in Psalm 78. And as you're turning there, I want to kind of give you a little bit of a glimpse of what we've been dealing with in the retreat this weekend with the students. I've been asking the students this question uh, throughout the weekend. Who influences you? Who influences you? And we've been talking about this idea of influence. And one of the things that we've talked about is that influencers target your head and your heart. They target the way you think. They try to get you to, to rethink things, to challenge your thinking, to adjust your thinking. And they target your heart. They target not just your emotions or to stir up your emotions, but to actually shift your devotion from one thing to another or to deepen your devotion to something. That's what influencers do. But in order to be influenced, it requires an association with someone. You, you give your time, you give your attention, you allow them into your life, you allow them time in your life, an investment, and you listen. You pay attention to what they're sharing, their views, their opinions. It, it matters to you. And, and so to be influenced, that's one of the things that take place. But Jesus reminded the people in his day, and it speaks to us today, that we need to be careful about who we listen to. Jesus said in Mark 4, 24, take care what you listen to. That we need to be mindful of, of the content that we take into our lives and, and the things that we listen to. That word that's translated what is a pronoun that can also be translated who. We need to take care who we listen to. And I've been challenging the students this weekend to really consider as they think about those that they give their time, their attention to, whether it's uh, on social media, whether it's media, other types of media that they take into their life, to consider that. Who and what are you listening to? As adults, we need to ask the same question. We need to be mindful of the things that we are listening to, who we're listening to, who we follow, who we are allowing that influence into our life. Because Jesus also pointed out in Luke 8, 18, he said this, take care how you listen. It, it matters whether or not we really give attention to the word of God, to his instructions and to his commands in our lives, or whether or not we're being influenced by the world around us. And that's really where our focus of this weekend centered. We, we examined Isaiah chapter 1 and 2 primarily, and we saw that God's people had gotten to a place where they were in rebellion against God, they weren't listening to God. And in Isaiah 1 verse 5, the scripture says that God said about his people, he said, your whole head is sick. Their thoughts had been impacted. It, be, it had become corrupted. They weren't holding to the truth of God anymore. Their mind had become a cor corrupted and their whole heart was faint. This Hebrew word means afflicted. It was torn between two things, a devotion to God and the influences of the nations and the world around them. And we see this very idea of influence had happened with God's people. And Isaiah opens up the chapter explaining how the people had gotten to the point where they were, that their, their thinking had been corrupted, their heart's devotion to God had been afflicted. They were no longer giving a singleness of devotion 
to God but had been influenced by the world around them. Church, would you agree that this message is relevant for the people of God today in the day in which we live? This is right where we are, friends. This is right where we are. And this was the message that, Jesus, that God kind of summarized through the prophet Isaiah. They were filled with the influences from the east. The nations around them, they had filled their minds, their hearts with the influences of the east. And what did God tell them? He said simply this, God's people had esteemed ungodly men. They'd been listening to the influences of the east. So his response was this, stop. Stop regarding and esteeming men in whose nostrils is the breath of life. Stop. Cease with men. And so we've spent this weekend really reflecting on this idea of stop being filled up with the influences of ungodly men. And so I've been asking the question of the students this weekend, who influences you? But I want to bring, as we're wrapping up this retreat this weekend, as we're speaking a final message to the students, it's a message for all of us as a church to ask this question. Who will you influence? Who will you influence? See, God intends for our lives to be used for His glory and to be an influence to the, to the very lost around us to be an influence to young believers to encourage them and to help them to grow in faith in their relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ God intends for us to have influence and it works in the same way that negative influences work upon our lives that we need to be prepared to actually engage with people about what the, how they think about life how they think about God how they think about themselves we need to be able to engage with people to touch a place in their heart with the truth of the gospel, his mercy and compassion and grace to, to influence and persuade them with the gospel of Jesus Christ to shift their devotion and submit themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ. As we think about those ideas, I want to bring us to the text that we will look at this morning in Psalm 78. And, and in doing so, I want to open with one more uh, proverb. It's a very short proverb by way of introduction to Psalm 78. It says this in Proverbs 29, 18. Listen to what it says. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. But happy is he who keeps the law. Another translation of this verse says this, where there is no prophetic revelation, there is chaos. But those who keep the revelation contained in Scripture find blessing. When I think about that passage, one of the things that's important for us to think about when we ask that question, who will you influence, is a question about what is the vision for your individual life and for your church we need a fresh return to God's vision. When I mention vision, I'm not talking about vision in the context of the way the world talks about vision or leadership books that abound on the topic of vision. I'm talking about this very idea that this word vision in the text refers to a godly revelation. Where there is no godly revelation, look what it says, the people are un restrained 
That word unrestrained in the Hebrew literally means that they run wild. That they have cast off restraint. Friends, all we have to do is lift up our heads, look around us, and that is exactly the world we are living in today. But here's the sad thing. It's not just with people that don't know the Lord Jesus. It is inundating the people of God. We have lost clarity about God's divine revelation. What it means to truly live life simply and purely devoted to Jesus Christ. And when that happens, there begins to be a running wild where each one does what is right in his own eyes rather than according to God's word. And so let us return to this divine vision. In the book of, in, in Psalm 78, we get a warning not to repeat Israel's mistakes, not to repeat the mistakes of their past, to remember God's saving acts, to remember His punishments and discipline and correction that He gave His people and His persistent grace and a call to keep faith and to teach the very next generation. In fact, the Apostle Paul, he actually told the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul calls on God's people to avoid Israel's mistakes. He said in 1 Corinthians 10 that Israel is to be an example for us, he said in verse 6 of that chapter, and that the things written about them is for our instruction. He goes on to say, so that we would not crave evil things as they did about the nations around them that they that we would not fall into idolatry where we actually treasure and value something more than christ that we would not act in immorality that we would not try the lord nor grumble against him paul even in his day was calling the church to learn from god's interaction with israel so may we do that this morning Let's read together in Psalm 78, beginning in verse 1. It says, Listen, O my people, to my instructions. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and His strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born." that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Will you pray with me? Father God, we ask that today you would open your word that, God, you would speak to us, that you would stir in our hearts again to see 
your divine revelation. God, to see the vision that you have for the proclamation of the gospel and for the the vision of disciple making and the role that we have to actually lead and guide the next generation to faith in Christ and to maturity in Christ. Father, I pray that you would speak to us today and stir up in us something that is so fresh that, Lord, we would move out of this time in a new direction, with a new passion, with a new resolve to what you have called us to be and do. God, we ask for your grace among us today. Speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice the first thing in this divine vision. The first thing that we see is in this opening verse that we are to listen and to know. To listen and know. He says in verse 1, Listen, O my people, to my instructions and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. Listen. That word listen means to give ear. It means to pay attention. Pay attention. Listen. He then says, incline your ears. That's a Hebrew word that, that when it's in its literal idea means to stretch out or to bend the ear. You get the image of someone who's perhaps a little bit wiser and, and has lived a little bit longer. Did you like how delicately I was trying to put that? And, and because of that, they struggle sometimes to hear. And you've probably encountered someone like this where they might actually cup their hand around their ear and they kind of bend their ear to really listen to what you're saying. Now that predates hearing aids. It was quite common before we had those that they would bend the ear. This is a very vivid picture of what God is calling His people to. He's saying listen and take and pay careful attention. Listen up to what? To my instructions. Is the Word of God and the instruction of God something that you treasure above the words, the instructions, and the guidance of the nations and the people around us who do not know God? He says, listen up. I shared this story with the teenagers this weekend because when I was in college, I had a professor i was in a pe class and in this particular class we had a lot of things we were doing but one of the things was that we were going to get certification in cpr and i remember the day that me and about eight other guys and i don't know how this class ended up with all guys but it was just a knucklehead class i guess for that that teacher that year and when we walked in i'll never forget the day when we walked in and the dummy was laying on the floor all the cpr kinds of instructions and visual aids were everywhere and she looked at me and these other eight guys and this is what she said she said gentlemen you need to listen today as if someone else's life is dependent upon it and can i just tell you we actually paid attention more that day than in other days We had kind of tuned in. We kind of went to a different way of listening. And guys, we need to have that kind of mentality when it comes to listening to the Word of God. Church, do you listen to the Word of God as if lives are dependent upon it? Because not only is your life dependent upon it, 
but your children and your grandchildren and this world around us, this city in which you live is dependent upon it. We need to listen in order to truly know. This type of listening is exactly what Jesus was talking about in that passage that we referred to earlier. The passage that followed the teaching of the soil, the casting of the seeds and the various kinds of soil. And the seed that fell in the good soil was the one who heard the word, accepted it. Luke says, held fast to it. Mark says, or Matthew said, understands it. Mark says, accept it. And Luke adds, and will persevere with that truth. Church, look right here. That's a different kind of listening. Are you listening to God's word as if lives are dependent upon it? I fear in the day that we live where we have access in so many different ways to various Bibles and Bible study apps and Bible this and Bible that that we've almost lost the simplicity of longing for God in the midst of all that we have listen to know see we need to become diligent learners not apathetic learners but passionate learners and he goes on in verse 2 and he says I will open my mouth in a parable I will utter dark sayings of old See, not only do we sometimes have problems with listening or we have selective listening, sometimes that selective listening leads us to the place that what verse 2 is talking about, we really don't want to hear about. Because verse 2 is referring, he's talking about a parable, about wise saying that's going to be imparted. And then he uses this idea of dark sayings of old which was insightful observations that the psalmist is going to make, that he's going to utter out like a spring that's just flowing over, and it's observations about Israel's past history with God. A past history that is filled up with God's people being in rebellion against God and not listening and paying attention to Him. And how God, in His holiness and righteousness, because He's a good Father, He would discipline His people, He would bring correction to His people, and that He was just and right in doing so. That God takes sin seriously. In fact, the very nature of sin is brought out in this as broken covenant, as disobeying God's law, as, as being... Um, forgetting his saving acts it's it's described in this psalm as rebellion against god's leadership as making demands which test god as doubting god's power and not trusting god to save in time of need it describes lying to god with a flattery tongue see i think sometimes as we approach god's word we have selective listening we like to hear the ways that God talks about His grace and His mercy and His compassion for us, and we should. But there is something to be learned about how God dealt with the sins of His people and the fact that any good father will discipline his children. And God disciplines us to bring us up into righteousness and holiness. Do you have selective listening when you study God's Word? 
See, we need to ask that question because this is what Paul told Timothy. He said, preach the word, young man. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come. Let me read that again. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. See, we need to approach God's Word not selectively listening to the things we like and kind of just putting aside those things that kind of bring conviction or that we're a little uncomfortable with or that we try to rationalize away what God is actually giving as His expectation for His people. We need to come to it with a humble heart that says, God, search me, O God. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting I want to submit to you if you're always just having warm fuzzies in your quiet time and your devotional in the morning reading God's word you might not be listening carefully to God because my experience is that there are many mornings that I'm reading through God's word and I can't say oh amen I say oh my And I have to let the reflection of His holiness that works on my heart and I realize, oh, that doesn't look like what God's called me to. And we need a move of God in His church today that will have that kind of humility before His Word. Not arrogance, not selective listening, but a teachable, humble heart that just says, God, where I have been wrong, expose it in me, and I will confess my sins because I know you are faithful and just to forgive me, and I will adjust my life to whatever your word commands of me. So that's a different way of listening. But here's what I want you to be encouraged about. It's a better way of listening because God's standard, God's way is always better. It's better than my way. It's better than the world's way. It's always better. And so God is, through this psalm, calling them to learn. And then He says in verse 3, He says, you're to be listening and pay attention to these wise sayings, even the dark sayings that address the sin of the people and how God dealt with them. Why? Look what he says in verse 3. These are things which we have heard and, notice it says, and known. And our fathers have taught us. See, there's something in this psalm that he's bringing to light that as we listen and draw near, as we hear, we're to listen in such a way that we comprehend. We're to listen obediently so that we can actually know, to genuinely know God in a deep and powerful way. Have you ever been at a place where someone is introducing the speaker and the person introducing them really doesn't know them? Have you ever been in that awkward situation 
maybe because of what I do, I've been in that a little more than you've experienced. But I've been in those situations where someone who doesn't know me is trying to introduce me. And it's always interesting. They might be reading something that they, you know, quickly found on my website or somebody, you know, they went and asked somebody else, what do I say about, you know, this guy or whatever. And then there's other times where someone stands up to introduce a speaker and that person knows the speaker. In fact, they may share a few stories or relational things about them and you can tell this individual knows this person. Can I just tell you that I think one of the reasons, one of the things that becomes a struggle in evangelism today is sometimes we're trying to introduce Jesus to someone but our knowing of him has not gotten as deep as it needs to go and so we struggle with the awkwardness of trying to introduce somebody we really haven't spent a long a lot of time with recently we really don't know in a deep intimate way and we're trying to introduce that person to someone else I've had seasons like that and in those seasons, God just draws me back to say, know me deeply. Above all the various kinds of things that you can learn about sharing Jesus with others, the thing that makes the biggest difference in sharing Jesus with other, others is how deeply you know Jesus. Because it becomes the most real, the most authentic thing in the world to introduce someone to someone you know deeply. It's not awkward. It's not weird. In fact, the people listening to you will say, they really know Jesus. And they're talking to me like they spent time with God this morning. What an amazing way. A dynamic to bring. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He says, we've heard, we've known this in such a way that it's true. The psalmist actually believes the message he's sharing. He's actually intimately connected to the God that he is proclaiming and making known. And he says, we've known it and we've heard it. And we've heard it from who? Notice what he says here. Our fathers have taught us. Now this word in the Hebrew is a word that speaks specifically to men. It doesn't exclude you, ladies, but I just want to point out that it's specific to men. Men, God intends for you to be the most significant influence in proclaiming the gospel to the next generation, your children and your grandchildren. Will your children and your grandchildren say one day, it was my dad, it was my grandpa that taught me the deepest things about Jesus? See, within this, we see that there is a discipleship model, a, a listening to know, and then a teaching to make known. And that's exactly the way God has designed this. He brings revelation to us about Himself and about His Son. And the Son gave that full revelation in His life, death, burial, and resurrection. And when we embrace that truth and then we grow and we're listening to know what it looks like to walk in His kingdom and to live in His ways. And as we know Him, God's intent, God's vision, God's plan is now teach it and make it known. And the psalmist is saying, man, that's what happened in my life. Our fathers taught us. Men, I want to challenge you. I want to call you forth as to become mighty men of God. 
that will know God so intimately, so passionately that it overflows out of your life in the most natural way to teach your children and your grandchildren about the Lord. Notice it says that he told us. It's a description that reflects the idea of Deuteronomy 6. It is not he told us once. It's a word that used, was used that described a continuous, ongoing teaching. In fact, if you go back in Deuteronomy 6, teach them diligently was the way it was used in Deuteronomy 6. And that word diligently is a Hebrew word that was the same word that they would use to describe the idea of to wet, to sharpen. If I had a whetstone, and when my son was younger, and he, he really enjoyed the, the father-son time of learning to sh sharpen a knife, because step one is spit on stone. It was, a, it was an easy lesson. It was his favorite step. Spit on stone. But the, the next part was important, to drag that knife continually across that stone. Because if you drag it just once or twice, it might be more dull than it was when it start, you started. It's that continuous, diligent sharpening that brings that edge. Listen, men, it's not enough to say, I, I've told them about Jesus once. It's not enough to say, well, they've heard my salvation story once. Your children need to be hearing from you over and over and over and over again. They need to be hearing from you, Dad. They need to be hearing from you, Granddad. What's the, what's the most fresh thing that God has been speaking into your life that you're having to adjust your life to join God to become what He wants you to be? Are they hearing that from you, Dad? That's what the psalmist is calling us to. Why? So that we will teach the next generation. Look at verse 4. It says, We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, His strength and His wondrous works that He has done. The psalmist says we cannot conceal this from the next generation. We can't hide it by destroying it. We can't keep it from them. We can't let their lives miss out on this truth because it's that good. It's that filled with hope. It's truth. And so we can't conceal it. We can't be quiet about it. Do you realize that when the church of God is silent in the proclamation of the truth of God and the gospel, that we join the enemy's strategy and agenda? Do you realize that? That when you're silent, you are actually joining the strategy and the agenda of the enemy of Jesus Christ, Satan himself. Because his goal is to keep that message from other people, especially the next generation, so that it might actually just kind of be destroyed, twisted, put out of place where they can't hear and know the truth. We must not, we must not, we must not be silent in the day in which we are living. Is it hard? Yes. Is it challenging? Yes. Is it costly? Yes. Will it become more costly in the days ahead in the United States of America 
I believe that it will. Are God's people so filled with this that we, we just can't be quiet? He says, tell them, tell them, recount it to them again and again. It's that same word that was in verse three. And, he, and three things, the praises of the Lord. We need to be able to talk about with the next generation the great facts of God's dealing with Israel and with us. We need to be able to share with them how the gospel has impacted and shaped our lives. Our children and our grandchildren need to hear God's story from us about how God is the creator, the one and only who exists and created this world and man in rebellion sinned against God. And in that sin, God, rather than just completely wiping them out, had a plan that was already in place before creation ever started, and that was to send Jesus, his son. That Jesus would be the redeemer and the deliverer, and that God chose a people, and through that people would come that Messiah. And Messiah has indeed come. His name is Jesus, and he lived on this planet, and he lived a sinless life, and he taught us that the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe in the gospel. And Jesus himself laid down his life to pay the penalty for sin, that sin carries that debt of death, and separation from God and Jesus Christ laid down his life he died he was buried he rose again he appeared to more than 500 witnesses alive and ascended to heaven and is seated presently at the right hand of God and that Jesus Christ is coming back that he's coming to deliver us and he's coming to establish his kingdom in such a way that this world will see the difference between the reign of King Jesus and all of the various pagan nations that have ever existed. The praises of the Lord. Man, is there something that God has done in your life recently that you just give him praise for and thanks for and have you shared that with your children and grandchildren? Is that a regular part of your life? He says we share about the strength of his character. Throughout this psalm, you'll see many places that he's not only at talking about the people's sin and how he was disciplining them, but it speaks of his character. His character. In verse 37, we see that it says, For their heart was not steadfast toward him, nor were they faithful in his covenant, but he being compassionate forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them that's something we need to say amen to <laughs> he didn't destroy them in fact look what it says it says and often he restrained his anger and did not arouse all of his wrath God is compassionate and gracious and he has put up with a lot from sinful man and he is not slow about his return but he is patient not wishing for any to perish God is waiting as long as he can to see as many people that will turn in humble repentance and faith before he comes back and so we're to declare his character and then it says we're to declare his wondrous works 
both those blessings and those judgments and we see that throughout this psalm he he talks about in verse 12 the miracles he he wrought wonders before the fathers in the land of egypt and we see that he divided the sea and caused them to pass through he made the waters to stand up in a heap he led them with the cloud by day and the fire by night do you realize that the psalmist is walking back through the history with god's people from the time that they came out of egypt and just all of the ways that god had worked in their life and they're remembering they're recounting it do you know you have a story of what god did in your life to bring you into this place of relationship with him your church has a story is the next generation hearing about the praises of the lord the strength his wondrous works look at verse 5 for he established a testimony in jacob and appointed a law in israel which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children this testimony is the uh, is the account it's the evidence of god's interaction with them this same word was used to describe the items that are in the ark of the covenant when they were placed in the ark of the covenant and and those items were the testimony of god's dealing with israel he says he established this god did things that left a history of his interaction with man and he does that with us as well we're to tell of that and then it says that he appointed a law the divine instructions and the directions and that he commanded notice here again men our fathers he commanded them he gave them charge and gave them the marching orders god's command was for those fathers and that older generation to teach the younger generation that they would know to really fully embrace it as their own faith i don't know if it encouraged you this morning but as i sat there watching this worship team i was encouraged <laughs> your church is raising up another generation to seek hard after god and your young people have been challenged this weekend to embrace that steve farrar in a book that he wrote for men made this statement toward dads he said less time equals less influence I want to ask you this morning church how much time are you willing to invest to influence your children and your grandchildren all of your decisions about work all of your decisions about how much time you invest in various things that you invest in ought to be guided and directed by how much time are you allowing yourself to invest in your children and your grandchildren and if you find yourself just uh, consumed with everything else and no time left for that, I would challenge you to give some time and reevaluate what you're doing because God is calling us to have this influence. In reality, Psalm 78 is the great commission of the Old Testament. This is exactly what the great commission was about to go and preach the gospel baptizing them in the name of the father son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe learning teaching them to observe all of god's commandments why here's the last point that the next generation will know and put their confidence in god 
but I want you to see how big this is listen to how it's written in the psalm that the generation to come might know even listen to this the children yet to be born wow that's a divine vision every church every family ought to carry that with them on a daily basis that everything that I do today with the generation that I can see is for a generation that's not even born yet I want to ask you as a church are you thinking that big in your vision I want to ask you dads as a family are you thinking that big as you think about raising your children that you are raising your children so that they would know so that a generation not yet born would know God that's a big vision students all this weekend I've been asking you who influences you and now I want to ask you this question students who will you influence will you live your life as a teenager now knowing that God is wanting to use you God is wanting to work through your life in such a way that a generation of teenagers that are not even born yet will come to know Christ because of the way you lived your life and the influence you have had students look right here your life matters for the kingdom of Christ your life is to be lived for the glory of Christ and adults the same is true for you your life matters you say well I'm a I'm a senior adult I'm, I'm getting older I, I, I don't know how much time I'm going to still be around all the more God wants to use your life until you take your last breath God's not done with using your life to influence a generation that's not even born yet not if you embrace God's vision for your life so to the senior adults in this church, let me just very graciously and humbly say, please don't check out. Those of us who are younger than you, those of us who are coming behind you, need you not to check out. We need your influence. We need it as much today as ever before. We need you. We need you praying. We need you loving. We need you giving. We need you discipling. We need you. Your life still matters. And I don't care what this secular world says about you. I know what God says about you. And your life matters. It matters every moment until you take your last breath. And if you don't believe that, dig in a little bit about how old Moses was when he started his ministry leading the people. I'll give you a hint. He was 80. I don't know. It's just the kind of hints I give. These men started with God in their latter years. I plead with you. Don't. Don't check out. Teach the next generation so that they will know get a vision for a generation not yet born notice what he says so that they may arise and tell it to their children so that they will arise so that it will be established they will stand up and stand firm is there anyone who that's your heart cry to see a generation behind you that would rise up stand firm in their faith in Jesus Christ then let's lead to that end 
that they would put their confidence in God that they would not forget the works of God that they would keep the commandments of God that they would not be like this ancestors the fathers that came out of Egypt that were stubborn rebellious that did not prepare their heart that did not walk in the ways of the God they were not faithful to God their spirit was not steadfast to God that they would not be like the Israelites the wandering Israelites in that desert but that they would be strong in 